Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you in the Lord's house. Aren't you grateful for God's presence here this, with us today? Anointed worship. Thank you so much. And I tell you, my heart thrills at being able to witness God's people memorizing whole chapters of the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? J.P. Brown and Devaney, would you just stand up right now, please? Where's J.P.? He was here. I know he was here. J.P. and Devaney, with other leaders in our church, are leading our junior Bible quiz, our teen Bible quiz. I tell you, it thrills my heart to see in these days in which we live, people committing to their heart the memorization of the living Word of God. Hallelujah. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, all you do in leading our JBQ and our teen Bible quiz. We praise God for it. The Bible says that of itself that God says that it's quick. That means it's alive. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. You still believe that? Amen. I'm so glad to see you this morning and uh, welcome all of you who are worshiping with us by the web. And we just thank God for his wonderful presence. I appreciate so much your response and uh, your support last week of our missionary, Brother Dan Lamadou, Dan and Paula, missionaries to Japan. Thank you for the generous offering. We were able to give them uh, $2,000 in our offering to help them on their way. And as y y many of you have made commitments, thank you for getting that in. We went ahead and gave it to them in advance. And so God bless you for doing that. It's good to be together in the Lord's house, isn't it, in person? Don't you, don't you love being able to look over and see somebody else in the room instead of uh, wondering who's worshiping with you by just being on the Internet? It's just wonderful. And I'm thrilled to have relatives here this morning. I have a cousin who's flown all the way from the Chicago area, Aurora, Illinois, Diana. God bless you. I love you. So glad you're here today. And Ann and John Guzman, they live not too far from us. And so glad to see you and have you with us in this service today. It reminds me of a story I heard. A little boy greeted his grandma. She was a relative. With a big hug, he'd come, she'd come to visit them, and he said to her, Oh, Grandma, I'm so glad you came to visit us. Um, now maybe Daddy will do the trick he's been promising us. And I'm curious, this Grandma said, Well, what trick is that that you're talking about? He said, she said, or he said to her, Well, he told, he told Mama that if you ever came to visit again, he was just going to climb the walls. And I want to see that trick. I'm not climbing walls because my relatives came. Recently, I read a very troubling and disturbing article. And the title of the article was Godless America Anticipating the Antichrist. Uh, the subtitle was How America is Preparing for the Antichrist with a godless mindset. My first thought was, what in the world is going on? And indeed, there's a lot going on in our world, isn't there? What sort of madness has taken over in the last number of years? Seems like so much is changing over the last number of years. And I'm not talking about COVID. There's some deeper streams that are flowing. Firm foundations seem to be eroding away and rotting away. Please stand with me, and I'm going to ask you to read the Word of God. We've had a lot of Scripture already, but I mean it when I say I love the Word, and I believe it's important for us to have the Word. Instead of me reading it today, I'm asking you to read it with me. I want us to read this passage and I'm asking you to listen with your spirit. Listen with the mind, uh, with the ears of your heart. Let the Holy Spirit make this passage come alive for us today. Would you please read it? I'm reading from the modern English version. 
Know this. Come on, in your outdoor voice, please. Let's read. Know this. In the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, slanderers, unrestrained, fierce, despisers of those who are good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Turn away from such people. Those of this nature creep into houses and captivate silly women who are burdened with sins and led away with various desires, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds and worthless concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly will be revealed to everyone, as theirs also was. But you have observed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, tolerance, love, patience, persecutions, and afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But the Lord delivered me out of them all. Yes, and all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue in the things that you have learned and have been assured of, knowing those from whom you have learned them, and that since childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through the faith that is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Oh, hallelujah. Let's thank God together for the Word, and let's ask Him to lead us. Yes, give Him an applause. Thank you for your Word. We love you for your Word, oh God. Now let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us. You see each of our hearts, blessed Father. And by your Spirit, you have brought us to this service today. It isn't an accident. Whoever is worshiping with us by the web or will later watch this service, I pray that your Word will touch our hearts. Lord, we need you to do something in our lives today that only you can do. I pray that you'll hide me behind the cross. I pray that you'll live big in me, blessed Holy Spirit. Think through my mind. Speak through my lips. Let me say only that which you would have me to say, but help me to say with loving boldness what you would have me to say. I pray, God, you'll touch the heart of unbelievers, people who may not be in fellowship with you today. I've prayed for them before this service, and I pray for them now. Holy Spirit, touch every heart. Don't let anyone reject the message of truth today. Deal gently but firmly with every heart, I pray. And, Lord, we'll give you the glory. We'll give you the honor because you deserve the glory. You do miracles so great, and it's more than a song. We love you, Jesus, and we bless your name. And all God's people said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on, say it to the Lord. Praise your name, Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. When we read Paul's letter, especially this particular chapter, it reads like the 6 o'clock news, doesn't it? I mean, it's like you're sitting down listening to CNN or Fox or ABC or NBC at least part of the time. I remember when I was a boy reading this chapter, and reading passage of Scripture, which is not exactly what you would call very recent when I was a boy. But I read it, and I remember being convinced that it was being fulfilled in that very day because of what was going on around us even then 
over 70 years ago. I remember how God dealt with my heart. There was a lot of trouble going on in our world during that time. The United States was gripped with fear. The war with Germany was just coming to an end, and we'd lost a lot of men and women in battle. It was fierce. The Korean War was now raging. It had started. They call it the Korean conflict. But when men are shooting at each other and dying in battle, the blood is very real, and it's war. And war is hell, someone said. And men who've been in war and women who've been in war know that that is the truth. And so we read this passage with fear and trepidation. Uh, a lot of people see the phrase that Paul uses, the last days, as uh, being uh, the time just prior to when Jesus Christ will return. But the Bible also uses that phrase to refer to the whole period of time between the first coming of Jesus as well as the second coming of Jesus. For example, in Acts 2, verse 17, the Bible says on the day of Pentecost, Peter is quoting uh, Joel, the prophet, and he says, in the last days, God said he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. The first words in the book of Hebrews, it was quoted a while ago, in many and various ways, God spoke to, uh, in old, uh, spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by his son. The first two verses of Hebrews 1. So Paul recognizes that there is a cycle. There are ebbs and flows. This is like what will keep coming until that time when the trumpet will sound, the rapture of the church. And, of course, one of these uh, epochs and one of these seasons will be the very final one. And, my friends, we could very well be living in it right now. Can somebody say amen? So Paul recognizes this, and by the Spirit, he is urged to write to this. Now, I told you I read an article that was very troubling. Let me just share a paragraph or two from it because I believe if you haven't seen it either, you will recognize we're, our, we're in troubling times, what Paul said he wanted Timothy and us to know. Here's the paragraph. The secularization of U.S. society, the waning of religious faith, practice, and affiliation is continuing at a dramatic and historically unprecedented pace. While many may consider such a development as a cause for concern, such a, war, a worry is not warranted, the author says. This increasing godlessness in America is actually, uh, Phil Zuckerman says, a good thing to be welcomed and embraced. Again, I say, what in the world is going on? Are you kidding me that a man would write such an article in the, and it be published in the Los Angeles Times? And people read it and believe it as being true and factual. Think about this for a moment. As recently as 1976, nearly 40% of Americans said they believed that the Bible is actually the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit to be taken literally. 40%. Today, there are barely one-fourth, 25% of Americans who believe that. In fact, many, many people in churches that are singing songs today and listen to somebody talk and speak, believe that the Bible is now nothing more than a collection of fables. It's history written by men. It's a bunch of stories and tales that are inspiring to read. Representative Jerry Nadler, Democratic representative of New York, recently proclaimed that, quote, God's will is of no concern to this Congress. And remember, that's in a nation whose motto is, in God we trust. And we have that all over our buildings and on our currency, and it's a part of the pledge that we make to our flag. Speaking of that, you saw it kicked out of the Pledge of Allegiance, and later in one of the national political conventions, it was removed altogether, any reference to it. You see, friends, what I'm saying to you is that right now, there are increased efforts to force the rest of the world, our nation, all of us, 
to abandon God, any vestige of God, any idea of God, or any thought of religious thought or concern or worship. And Phil Zuckerman writes, evidently very sincerely, this is really a good thing. This is really good. When we think about this, what we need to remember is the term secularization. This is what's happening. In fact, he uses that word in his article. Secularization means disassociation or separation from religious or spiritual concerns. I would just invite you to check out a few nations who have experimented with that, who've moved God out of their culture. How about Japan? Remember, missionary Dan Lamadu last week put a picture on our screen of the greater Tokyo population of over 36 million people. And then when he removed all of the pixels in that picture except one that was representative of the believers in that population, I have to be honest with you, I was sitting right there and I could barely, hardly see the little dot. Less than 1% of the Tokyo population, that many millions have a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I'm talking about and what this man is saying. Well, what about uh, Scandinavia? What about Australia? What about the UK? What about parts of Eastern Europe? And for that matter, how is the society going with God not a part of godless China and Russia? And on and on, you can see this. May I tell you, once God is gone from the culture, the door is wide open for godless repression to come in like a flood, and the enemy comes in like a flood and seeks to overwhelm and overflow every heart and every life. And here's the reason God has called pastors like me and ministers of the gospel is to stand behind a sacred desk like this on today and sound the alarm and say, come on, church, know this, understand this. In the last days, perilous times are coming, and they're here now, and they're part of what we're having to deal with day by day. But, oh, there's more to the story. Thank God for that. This article, applauding America's new godlessness, Phil Zuckerman goes on to say society can now embrace abortion, socialized medicine, euthanasia, and gun control. It concludes with this paragraph, and I quote, the organic secularization we are experiencing in the United States is a progressive force for good, one that is associated with improved human rights, more protections for planet Earth, and an increased socio-cultural propensity to make this life as fair and just as we can in the here and now, rather than in a heavenly reward that fewer and fewer of us believe in." End quote. I don't know about you, but that runs a chill through me. When I, when, I, when I learned that a man actually got paid to write stupidity like that and ignorance, and it was published and read in a widespread distribution of a newspaper, it causes me to say, dear Jesus, what in the world is the church thinking about? What are we as the followers of Jesus Christ thinking about? You see, is this what Jesus, was, what Jesus meant when he asked the question in Luke 18, verse 8? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I have reason to believe that may have been what was going through his mind. So what the Apostle Paul wanted Timothy, and he wants us to know, he says very clearly, understand this, know this, that these will be dangerous times, times of great stress, times when our faith will be pushed to the limit times when we will be forced to stand firmly on the promises of God when we have nothing else to sustain us, times when we will be under attack and under threat. But make no mistake about it, the Word of God is still true. Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. And never mind the times, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm grateful that I have good news today. I have hope for us today. There is a blessed hope. Hallelujah. Glory be to God, dear Lord Jesus. Now, in this passage, and time won't permit me to deal with it extensively, but look at this outline with me quickly. Paul gave an analysis of our times, and it's like he just walked through the streets of Dallas last week 
or Chicago or New York or any American city, Minneapolis, where so much is going on. Paul analyzes what's going on, and the Spirit seemed to give him four groupings of what's taking place. Let me just highlight it for you quickly. The first one is self-love. That's the basic sin of humanity. It's called narcissism. And there's rampant narcissism in our culture today, yes, even among Christians. Self-love, that's the vilest idolatry there is because it puts oneself on the throne of one's heart instead of who belongs there, and that's the living God. It removes God from His rightful place. We have in our society what's known as me, the me society. It's been around a long time. Even a burger place uses it as part of their advertisement. Have it your way. We'll make it like you want it. And so my rights, my needs, my views, my preferences, all of this, part of the culture. And how many know that can get into the church? How many know that's not good when it gets into the church? Christians often point to non-Christians about how selfish they are. With a sense of pride, we feel, well, at least I'm not like them. But Paul says this is happening in the church. He's writing about the life of the people of God. Someone recently captured this philosophy in a little jingle, and <laughs> I put it on the screen for you. I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. It was very small, three guests in all, just I, myself, and me. Myself ate up the sandwiches, and I drank up the tea. It was also I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. Me, myself, and I. Out of that flows other things, this first grouping. Paul's list expresses the, he says the primary expression of all of that is lovers of money. See, this is the root of greed. This is, where how, this is how that all happens. I can't, I don't have enough. I need more. And there's stinginess. There's, there, there, there's hoarding. There's, 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 there's not enough faith to worship God with his tithe, let alone support missions and give to the programs and the mission of God over and above the tithe because that spirit of generosity just hasn't kicked in. I'm talking about one's walk with the Lord. Paul is what he's in. The, out of that flows boastful and proud, blasphemers. There's a second group, and that centers around family life, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers. The word is implacable, which means you, you can't reason with them. You may, you may making ever so much sense, but they don't get it. They refuse to get it because of the, na the nature and the hardness of the heart and of the spirit. I don't, have to tell, I don't have to give you examples today. When I mention some of these, immediately some of us are seeing living examples lived out, especially in this family situation, disobedient to parents. Kids, obey your mom and dad. Young people, if you're still sitting at the table and eating your daddy's food, then honor your mother and your father. Obey them. Well, that didn't cost you anything. I just throw that in for you. Here's, he then third, here's another group, and he talks about interpersonal relationships, truce breakers. People don't keep their word, even Christians. They tell you something, and then they don't do it. They make a truce with you. And then it's, forget about it. Where's loyalty? Where's commitment? Those are words that, no, they don't work in our generation today. They're not, they're not part of our culture now. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what the Spirit is moving in his heart about. Slanderers. It's just too easy to form a prayer request. And by the time it's finished, it's a diminishment of someone's character and their integrity. Are you hearing me this morning, church? Unrestrained, fierce, despisers of those who are good, traitors, reckless, conceited. In the last group, he sums it up by talking about people who have a, pre a pretense of religion, and man have Americans mastered that. A, a form of godliness. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And Paul, Paul says it's, it's, it's almost a mutually exclusive situation. 
We either love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our spirit, everything within us. He has, he has, we're all in. Or else we're doing our best to walk with him on the side and be like one of those night, dis, nighttime disciples. This is what the Spirit is pressing on Paul. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. We don't have to guess what that power is, denying its power. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. Aren't you thankful at first at Firewheel we lift up the cross of Jesus Christ? I said, aren't you grateful for the cross of Jesus Christ? We're not ashamed of the cross because it's there that our sins are washed away. The empty tomb seals that, hallelujah, and him being seated by the Father's right hand. And so Paul says all of this is characterized by two major factors, and we just referenced them. He reveals this startling thing that in these times of stress and perilous times, they'll be characterized by and caused by these two major factors. It's not what he says in verses 1 through 4, but it's in verse 5 that he grabs hold of that. Having a form of godliness. That's factor number one. People know how to put on the mask. We know the songs. We know the right words. But you see, it becomes different when he gets to the second part, denying its power. In the inner man, what's really going on, and God really knows, things are not as they should be. In other, Paul, in other words, Paul says the primary cause of these repetitive cycles and stress and danger and what we're seeing in our world, and we have seen it, as I mentioned, since I was a boy, some of these same signs, only today they have escalated exponentially, and only God knows where it's going. But Paul says what this is all really attributed to is hypocritical lives of Christians. Whoa. Boy, that hit me right between the eyes when I began to study this and read it out hypocrisy in those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. They have no power to overcome evil in their lives. They're walking and living in a very shallow, name-only relationship with the Lord. So Paul's saying hypocritical Christianity is the bottom line to these times in which we live. I'm not sure any of us really realize and grasp the full revelation of Scripture and its importance with regard to how it reveals the nature of the church. Devaney quoted from Peter. That is a vital chapter. It comes straight at those who would, be, who would answer the call to lead the church. I didn't know she was going to read that, but the Holy Spirit did. It's so right on. You see, the Word of God is what gives us our principles by which to live and serve God and fulfill and carry out the mission of God in these last days in which we live. It's impossible for us to do that with just a little half-baked, uh, by-night discipleship relationship and walk with the Lord. Secret disciples. No, folks, it's time for the people of God to be all in. I said it's time for the people of God to be all in for the things of God and for the church of the living God. The New Testament all the way through wants us to see that the church is the most important body of people in all the world. It's not General Motors. It's not the Marine Corps. It's not any corporation. No, it's the body of Jesus Christ. That's the most important organism in this whole world. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, hallelujah in spite of the last days that Paul is writing about. So Scripture shows us there's a correlation between the immorality in the world and insincerity in Christians. See, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its saltiness, its savor, it's ineffective. It, it doesn't do what it was put there to do. He said in the next verse, you are the light of the world. So if salt isn't salting, then the, uh, the result is rottenness, 
putrefaction. And that's what we're seeing in our culture. If light is absent, then there's nothing but darkness. How many have seen darkness lately? It's time for the church to be salt. Get out of the shaker. It's time for the church to be light. Somebody can say amen if you want. That's the correlation Paul makes very clear. And that putrefaction and that darkness is an outgrowth of biblical ignorance. People don't know the Bible. People don't read the Bible. People are not interested in the Bible. They don't believe it's the Word of God. Sadly, too many Christians even wonder about that. That's why, again, I say, thank God, we'll, we want to hear the Word of God recited in our services and read because it's quick and powerful. Hallelujah. Well, I don't have to tell you man's answer to all of this is the government becomes God. That's what we're seeing moving rapidly and keeping pace. We know that for over 100 years, major efforts have been made to make government God. We see this in the cycles of history. Remember in 1918, 19, there was the Spanish flu. They called it the Black Plague. It was incredible. I'm sorry, that was the bubonic plague. I, I misspoke on that, not the Spanish flu. But that was a pandemic 100 years ago. 50 million deaths worldwide. They estimate about 675,000 in the United States. Now, the reason I mentioned that is when that happened, there were major shifts in the culture of America, in government. Yes, 100 years ago. And inch by inch, that has been continually creeping forward. And now fast forward to 2019, and we have what? Voila, COVID-19, 19 and 20. And the major societal shifts in that we are still living with. And the governmental shifts. It's a perfect storm. And the enemy has his tools in hand. And we see this, and the Word of God has forewarned us. Author and blogger Jonathan Brentner writes this, The combination of fear and the great deception of our time have made vast numbers of people willing to submit to the government, which they now regard as their protector of their health. As a result, they, are willing, they, willingly, they have willingly given up many of their rights and freedoms for the sake of remaining healthy, a trend sure to continue. What is this doing? Setting up the stage for the new world order. Are you hearing me? It sets the stage for the new... He, he continues to write, Brentner. He goes on and says, The new world order, a.k.a. the beast, cannot exercise its dominion over people apart from their willingness to submit to, it, to the dictates of a government they trust for their well-being and health. So people comply with directives without questioning. In order for the elite to achieve their ultimate goal of a one-world government, they must convince people of the need for more government control of their lives. End of quote. You see why I'm stirred in my heart today? Is it okay if your pastor gets a little bit excited? Well, if it isn't, just get over it. Some of the most terrifying words in the Bible are on your screen now. God gave them over. God gave them over. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 24 through 28. You see, because man rejects God, he gave them over to the foolish pursuits of idolatry in their heart. All that Paul described, those, that analytical list of behaviorisms, God gave them over to that. <clears throat> and that's the result of rejecting God. You see that same principle in 2 Thessalonians 2, but it manifests in terms of delusional beliefs. And those who reject God then are prime candidates to accept the Antichrist. And so it, what is even now at work, and Paul recognized it even in his day, is what he called the mystery of lawlessness. Another term for 
godlessness that this author has picked up on. The mystery of lawlessness. And so those who reject Christ and the love of God just fall pell-mell right into the arms of the Antichrist. Paul writes this in 2 Thessalonians 2, Therefore God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all might be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So the stage is being set. Fifty to a hundred years ago, churches were full on Sunday morning. Look around you right now, and I say this to you, and I love you, but if you're at home just because you'd rather sit and drink a cup of coffee rather than being in the house of the Lord, then you are disobeying God. No, if you're well, you're not vulnerable issues going on, health issues, come on, folks, I'm telling you the truth this morning. It's time for the people of God to wake up and smell the coffee and hear the Word of God. The stage is being set. The evangelical church was exploding in reaction to the liberalism that was seeping into our culture back in those days. The thought of a, I mean, it was, it was nothing for a church to hold, have what we call revival meetings. How I many remember any of those? And I remember as a boy and and how God worked in my own heart around the altar time. We'd sometimes not go home till past midnight. Church didn't start till 8 o'clock. That was crazy, wasn't it? To wait that late to start. But I remember those meetings going sometimes six, seven, eight, ten weeks at a time. People seeking God, calling out to God. See, that's the good news in the midst of this sad story. Because... Even then, I mean, the thought of a prominent U.S. congressman stating that our government was not concerned with God's will, that was unthinkable even in the House of Congress. But times have changed. Things are changing. Well, the stage is not only set for the mystery of lawlessness, the man of sin, but thank God, on the horizon, yes, is the Antichrist. Yes, so are the four horsemen of Revelation. Yes, evil is making its way day by day, but I'm telling you there's something else on the horizon, and that is the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church, the sounding of the trumpet on that in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Oh, glory to God. I'm talking about the blessed hope. I'm talking about the eternal hope that's in your heart and mine, and it could be today. I said it could be today. While many people no longer believe Jesus is coming back, Middle East researchers have discovered new evidence now that proves not only the rapture to be right, the prophesied rapture in the Word of God is real, but why it must soon come to pass. Soon come to pass. Oh, dear friends, the coming of the Lord is near at hand. In 1936, a man by the name of Albert Brumley wrote a song he entitled, This World is Not My Home. Now you see why I wanted to title my message that today. This world is not my home. The chorus in every verse ends with the words, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I believe he had good reason to write that. I think I know what he meant. Maybe you do too, and that's a good thing because it means our spirit is alive unto God. And this is what Paul is describing for us. He says that that world is temporary. That world that I've described is temporary. And that's why he said, I want you to hold fast to what you've been taught and remember who taught you. Those truths, those doctrines, those life-changing principles of the Word of God, hold on to them. Don't let anything take them from you because we're near to the coming of the Lord. That ache you feel while you're watching the news, it it ought to be normal for Christians. When you see all this turmoil going on, if it causes an ache in your heart as a child of God, then praise God for that. 
because you know this isn't right, but you also know this isn't forever because in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he's going to come. Hallelujah. But right now, we are living in the very end of Romans chapter 1. If you study that chapter, you'll read in verse 8 that Paul says that we live in a time when men and women intentionally suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And by doing this, Paul says in verse 21 and 22, they become futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they become fools. And in verse 25, he says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator rather than the, they were the creature rather than the creator. So that's the world we live in. But thank God that's not our home. I said, that's not our home. I said, that's not our home. Amen. Paul said in the Philippian letter, our citizenship is in heaven. Come on, read it out loud with me. Read it in your outdoor voice. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. Glory to God. In any way you can look at it, heaven is always way, way better than earth. I said, it's all, it's way better than earth. And Jesus said to pray, our Father who art in heaven. And that tells us something magnificent about heaven. It tells us that our Father is there. And the psalmist wrote in 16, verse 11, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures evermore. He's talking about the blessedness of going to heaven. And whether we go there by death or whether we go there by the sounding of the trumpet, it's going to be glorious. Hallelujah. In fact, Paul tells the Corinthian church, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And unlike the pleasures of this world, and there are pleasures in this life, make no mistake about it, but they are passing. They are fleeting. The joys of heaven will never dim. They will never fade. They will never die. Peter says in his epistle 1 and verse 4, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. Hallelujah. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Glory to be to God. Hallelujah. No wonder Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 admonishes you and me to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. That same songwriter, Albert Brumley, he wrote over 800 songs. We've sung a number of them, some of us growing up and even more recently. They say his best-known song was the one he titled, I'll Fly Away. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. He wrote that song, and it was recorded again and again and again and again. See, those words are right out of the Scripture. They're right out of the Psalm. Psalm 90, verse 10. It says, when the days of our life are gone, we fly away. So many of those old songs were biblical, they're scriptural. So what I'm saying, dear friends, is that our future does not rest on a deteriorating society around us. These perilous times that we see crumbling before our very eyes. Our future does not rest on even our deteriorating body that, as James said, is like a vapor, puff of smoke. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. But our future rests in the eternal promises of God who watches over his word to perform it. Oh, hallelujah. Soon we'll fly away either by the rapture or by death. Either way, it's going to be glorious. I said it's going to be glorious. 
And so that's the blessed hope. That's the promise we have. Come on, read it with me. It's on the screen. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall be forever with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Can you say it with me? This world is not my home. Say it again. This world is not my home. Just one more time for emphasis sake. This world is not my home. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We receive the word, don't we? Can you say amen to that? Tell the Lord that, Lord, we receive this. Help us to fall on our face. Help us to humble ourselves, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Let me ask you today, from the sincerity of my heart, are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready, should he call you today by death, or should the trumpet sound? Are you ready? Have you placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, to forgive you of your sin, and to make you a Christian? It's not a matter of turning over a new leaf. It's not a matter of being a good person, paying our bills on time, showing up at work on time, being a good employee, being a good wife or husband, child. No. The question is, have I prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior and my Lord? You see, God loves you so incredibly. He loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you. Jesus Christ shed his blood to purchase your redemption. He arose from the grave. We celebrate just two weeks ago, victorious over that grave. And now he's seated by the right hand of the Father. God's love is very real and very deep for you. And Jesus wants you to receive that today. The Father wants to forgive you of your sins. And so if you're ready to do that right now, I'm just going to ask you to pray. Just a simple prayer. And I'm going to help you. I'll give you the words and you just say this or something like this in your heart. You who are with me now online, I'm saying this to you. In, in your room, it's your family room, maybe your bedroom, wherever you are, let the presence of Jesus make himself real to you there right now. And just pray this out of your heart. Pray it with me and mean it from your heart. Dear God, I want to ask everyone to say this who is present so that it will help those who want to say it in their heart. And you say it with me, will you? And let's say it out loud. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your Son. I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my Savior. I want to follow him as my Lord from this day forward. So guide my life, O oh Lord, and help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, Father, the persons who have prayed this prayer today, I join my faith with them, and I bless them in the name of the Lord. And I pray that you will help them by your Spirit to walk close to you now and get closer and closer as the day approaches. I pray that you'll seal the Word of God in our hearts today. Lord, don't let it fall on hard ground or stony soil. Don't let the birds come and steal it away. Don't let the evil one distract or distort the truth that has been shared today. But I pray that you will seal it and rivet it in into every heart and every life who's heard the message today. And may we all recognize it's time to seek the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord. 
It's time to be totally committed to the Lord. It's time to serve Jesus as never before. We love you, Lord, and we bless you. Father, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for loving us so much you gave your son to die for us. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. There's power in the blood, wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Thank you for the precious Holy Spirit. Thank you because he will guide us. He will direct us. He will comfort us. He will strengthen us. He will bring your word to our remembrance. He will help us to serve you faithfully. Thank you for the Spirit. And, Lord, thank you for your word, the Logos and the Rhema, the living word of God. Let us fall in love again and anew with your word. Forgive us for not spending time in your word. Let us seek your face in prayer and in the study and devotion of your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. I bless all my brothers and sisters, and I give you glory for each one and for those who have newfound faith now and have prayed with us today. In Jesus' name, even so come, Lord Jesus. Can everybody say amen? Amen. Blessed be God. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Aren't you grateful for the Scripture? Give God praise for the Word of God. We receive your Word today, Lord. We thank you for your Word. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Savior. Blessed be God. Oh, hallelujah. I love you. I'm so grateful that you are here this morning. This concludes our online portion of our service. And so we bless each of you, and we say thank you for being with us today. As we bid you farewell, God bless you. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful week in the Lord Jesus Christ is my prayer. Amen. Amen. And you agree with me, don't you, church?